everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process. I, of course, am your host, Greg Wareham. We got a fantastic guest for you today, Mr. Michael Mandillo. Michael, thanks for joining us. Greg, thanks, to, thanks for having me. I, I appreciate you being here. I, I know you're busy. And uh, so I, to everyone out there, so Michael is the regional president for First Service Residential, and it's the largest property management company in North America, correct? Yes, so that's U.S. and Canada. You guys are the, the biggest company. Well, you know, well, I, I would say uh, if we want to cover it across the board, we are definitely in the top two, if okay. not one. Yes. It fluctuates. Yeah, it's it like does. the highest worth person it in does. the world, right? It depends <laughs> on the acquisitions that year yeah. and the organic growth, but, yeah. um, but yes. Well, I mean, I certainly appreciate you taking the time. I know you have a huge scope of responsibility, Michael, so thank you. Thank you. Uh, would you be kind enough to just talk a little bit about yourself, how you got into the property management business? Sure. So uh, actually celebrating 33 years in the uh, real estate management business and industry. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, but I think it really stems back to at that time, uh, property management, uh, and I'm going to say third party community association management was not where it is today on a global sense. Okay. So if you go back to the 33 years ago, it was not something that you heard about in college or that it was a career path. It was one of those careers that you fell into. Right. Um, and I say fell into, it really was very fragmented business, fragmented industry, and very, very, very small mom and pop companies that were, were managing properties. So it wasn't one that people really sought out as a long-term career. Sure. So back then, you really fell into it. Um, you know, I came out of college. I knew I wanted to get into the real estate business, but it was, I'll say, more of the sexy kind of real estate business that's developing, um, maybe even selling on high-level investment real estate was sure. really something that I thought would be appealing. Well, it's sexy. And, and love it, yeah. and I started doing that. And I came across uh, two individuals that were actually managing the real estate Okay, um, that I was involved with marketing and selling. And uh, I was very intrigued on what they did, which was much more operational. Okay. And it was much more consistent of a cash flow uh, kind of business. Um, but it was limited, at least at the time, I felt it was limited of uh, opportunities to really spike your income, where if you are selling large pieces of real estate or developing, you have an opportunity to drive very high-end revenue sure. or income for yourself in that situation. Um, but I stayed connected to the individuals for uh, about a short period of time, I'd say three years or so. Mm -hmm. And um, I really saw an opportunity of that we can grow an actual business that was reoccurring revenue. Sure. And in an industry that was fragmented, and so the competition of big visionary views of what, what the industry could be or what you can take a company was very appealing to me because I felt that we weren't up against large competitors. So using uh, the car rental business as an example. You know, if you're getting into that business now, you have Alamo, you have Davis, uh, uh, I'm sorry, Avis, and you have, you know, uh, Enterprise. Sure. So you really need to say, okay, how am I going to compete in this market? Same thing in the burger world as well. Sure. There was no McDonald's or Burger King of property management. 
Mm-hmm. So to me, it was kind of a really open opportunity. Um, now at the time, you know, in my early twenties, I had no idea what that meant, but that's probably good. Cause I was naive and didn't realize like, oh my God, this is going to be a lot of work. This is sure. a lot of work to do this. And, um, but that was good that I didn't know because it was more of the, the vision of, wow, could we take this business and, and, and build something that people would really want to look at this as a career sure. in property management? And that was early kind of Yeah, it, well, kind of back view. in that time, it didn't even really exist on a big scale, no, right? To your no, point, it it's zero. all mom and pop. It was all mom and pop. And it takes a lot of foresight with yourself and the different people involved in the project to say, hey, listen, how do we pull this thing all together, make it significantly more efficient? and provide a ton of value to the industry and kind of a little bit more ubiquity to what's going on. Yeah. And, and what was one of the key areas that we realized early on was that we needed capital, which we didn't have, right? We were barely making payroll. Uh, so we needed capital and we already knew at that point that technology was going to play a huge part in this, which my two partners had uh, strong technology uh, background at the time, but mm. not, they were not programmers and, and looking at that end of it. But we knew that, you know, streamlining efficiencies was going to be important. So sure. we had a decision to make. Do we go to a bank and uh, get a loan and put the money in? Do we raise the capital on our own? Or do we look for a strategic partner? Right. And we uh, fell on a strategic partner um, and sometimes I think fate plays a, a big part a lot in, of business, times, yeah. in business and we came across, uh, and it's a great story. Uh, we read in the wall street journal that a company called first service corporation mm-hmm. acquired a third party management company in Boca Raton, Florida called prime management company. Okay. Didn't, didn't know the company, but when we were reading about this acquisition, they were the same size as we were at the time. Okay. Now the principal of the company at that time was exiting, retiring. And First Service's original view of acquiring this company was to really cross-pollinate another company that they owned in the Florida market, which was a landscaping company. And okay. they thought, you know, if we acquire this management company and we have the landscaping, could we cross-pollinate the opportunities of driving more revenue and also controlling service in a sense of where they can have a differentiator. But First Service at the time did not have a vision of really expanding on the property management mm-hmm. side. But when we read this article, we thought it was intriguing of why would a public company have any interest in a third-party management company, which at the time, all contracts were 30 days or 60 days with or without cause cancellation. Okay. So you can have a three-year contract with a, a property mm-hmm. uh, with the association, but if they didn't like you, they can basically terminate you in 60 or 90 days. So the, the glue, there was no glue even sure. uh, on, well, at least you have a three-year contract unless you really do something. So we're kind of scratching our head and say, this doesn't make sense. So we called. We called directly based out of Toronto and uh, the at the time, uh, which obviously still is the chairman, but at the time was CEO and founder uh, Jay Hennick. We called and he picked up the call, picked up the phone. You know, big personality, great, <laughs> great, it. great leader. Yeah, and was intrigued and said, "You know what? Why don't you why don't you come up to 
Toronto and talk to us. That's fantastic. And, uh, and we did, we went up and then we started to build a relationship. It took about a year okay. before, uh, first service thought this was a good move for them because they really weren't going down an avenue of community association management, right? Where they did think there was opportunities in that field were more in the, um, Sunbelt areas, mm -hmm. Arizona, Florida, where they can have landscaping, you know, three, four seasons Sure. versus, you know, the Northeast where you only have it maybe two seasons out, right. of, out of it. Um, so with that, um, we built a relationship and we, and that was important that the organization was not a public company of looking on how to squeeze, you know, squeeze the lemons, if you will. Right. It was really an organization that was looking at building a brand yeah. and that attracted us to eventually then that's great. do the deal. So that's just great to be a pick up the phone and make the phone call, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone out there listening, pick up the phone and make yes. the phone call, right? Because yes. that leads everything in the right direction. And then the importance of partnering with the right company. Because first service, it's a publicly traded company. First Service Corporation is a publicly traded yep. company. First Service Residential is under the umbrella. Understood. Of the uh, holding company, which is, is that. But at that point, there was no First Service Residential. Sure. It was just First Service Corporation. But, but this was the difference of what I see in the private equity field ver doing a roll-up versus the First Service Residential model or the First Service Corporation model, okay. which truly was a partnership. And we mm. courted for a year. First of all, for them to have interest in us, we were a small company. Sure. You know, it, it, you know our EBITDA was probably equals three martinis now, of course. <laughs> there was nothing to write <laughs> home about. So, but at the end of the day, they saw value. Right. They saw vision. They saw entrepreneurialism uh, in, in us. And that is what really makes the difference of how they see the business and how they align with entrepreneurial people. You know what? I want to go a little bit deeper on that because it's really, it's a, it's a small segment of what the American dream is, right? So a lot of people could fantasize about that. How do I get into a partnership with a bigger company that can help fund what we're trying to do? Now, when you walk into that room in Canada, in Toronto, mm -hmm. and you're meeting with the CEO of this company, how do you get across your, your vision? How do you get a, how do you get them to buy in? Michael. Well, so what helped in this situation was that Jay Hennick and actually the CFO at the time, who is now the CEO, uh, Scott Patterson, were very entrepreneurial thinkers. Right. So that was a huge bridge already built. They were already entrepreneurial and they believed in people leading. So we're a service business. Mm -hmm. There's nothing that we do at First Service that actually builds anything. So there's not a car that we build that you could say, you know what, I don't like the salesperson, but I love the brand. I'm buying the car. I only got to deal with him or her for three days and then I leave. We are the product. So they really put a lot of emphasis of people, right? you know, integrity, uh, focus, energy. Now, we were clearly not polished at the time because one, we were, we were never worked under a, a, an umbrella of a large organization or a public company. So we were, you know, I say it's like street fighters, you know, we just, we didn't have a polish to us and <laughs> we sniffed out an opportunity yeah. to make money. We would go for it. Yes. Yeah. We had integrity. Yes. We were, we were making sure that our, our brand was, was up to par, 
but we didn't have a lot of the heart of the house structure down mm -hmm. at, at all. I mean, we didn't know any of the terminologies and stuff, you know, opportunity, grab it, make money, service them, make sure they're happy. And then where's the money? Okay. Where does it go? Pay right. this bill, pay that bill. Kind of simple as that. Sure. And you so, build it off vision and value. That's how, how it was, you know, but what I say part of this was us talking about what we're doing and what we see. Mm. The, the, the marriage was both sides seeing the opportunity. Sure. Wait a minute. Their perspective was, this is an industry that's untapped. Mm -hmm. You know, could we, one, start to funnel dollars through the team and go out and acquire other management companies mm -hmm. and now expand our footprint. And then how do we now look organically to start building our business one account at, at a time? And then what do we look through, you know, other efficiencies through technology, through standard procedures? You know, it, it was a long journey. I sure. mean, actually April 1st uh, is 26 years ago that I partnered and, and it is a partnership with yeah. First Service. And we were the That's first great. company to partner that I stayed. The first company that we mentioned, I mentioned was one where the, the, the principal exited. Okay. You know? So we were the first to, I'm going to stay. I'm staying here sure. 26 years later, not only still here, but watch this incredible journey that we built. And by many, many other hands in this, this is not a one person yeah one team this is a true collaboration of talent that has been over the years and you know what i want to get into a little bit later i want to talk about you know the culture and how you build all of that because there's seventeen thousand people work for first residential first, first service, service residential, residential right yes. now right yes seventeen thousand people seven billion dollars in funds you guys manage yes and i mean i could countless millions of actual individual units that you manage Yes, one about one point eight. Yes, it's, it's phenomenal. And then to be able to hold the culture as you build and expand like that—that's a—that's a great story. But before I come to that part, I want people to understand what it is that your company does. So, if uh, in a simple version of it is, we are the company that a condominium complex, a co-op, uh, a lifestyle community, a high-rise community a portfolio or HOA community hires to manage the property. Mm -hmm. um, so I would say the minute a person opens the door of their home in a condominium and steps out, everything that you see and everything that makes the outside run until you drive off the property, we are responsible for. So we're responsible for, one, we serve the board. The board is just like politically you know, in politics, it's an elective board by fellow homeowners. Right. So it's that HOA, Homeowners Association, Association board. Right. And they're elected by their uh, fellow neighbors. Right. Those people are volunteer and it ranges from anything, anywhere from five to, it can go up to, I've seen as high as 14, board members, but usually on an average, it's seven board members. These individuals don't have, don't really need to have any type of specific skill set right. as long as they're as long as these individuals are up to par on their payments their maintenance or condo fees um 
they are qualified to run. Now, sure. it's gotten more sophisticated over the years, mm -hmm. so people do run on like platforms, sure. and now people are looking at resumes and saying, wow, he or she has this background, that would be great. So it is getting a bit more strategic in, in that, but, but technically, as long as your payment is up to par, you can run, and if you win by yeah. popularity, you're on the board, and it's a non-compensatory role. So okay. it's a volunteer, so let's start there. Their responsibilities by their elected neighbors are responsible for now hiring the people they feel that needs to run the community. Mm -hmm. um, and that's the financial aspect of the community, collecting the fees, making the, 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 the payments uh, that are connected to the community, but also the cosmetic of it, the risk of it, the safety of it uh, covers all, encompasses all of that. So we could be viewed as the gatekeeper, mm -hmm. if you will. So, you know, coordinating contracts with any of their legal, if there's capital improvements that need to be done, the landscaping, the snow removal, um, the pest control, all of the, dip, if there's a pool opening and closing of it, the safety of the pool. Sure. Um, so it could be depending on the amenities that are at the community. Um, that's our responsibility is really making sure that all those checks and balances are in place. And we, we serve the board. We so, serve the board. So now we have the boards all put together, and you really have two options if you're a homeowners association. You can manage everything internally. So you can take all the money in. You can manage all the problems and everything that comes up. That would be called self-manage. And there are properties that um, very minimal yeah. percentage but yes, that would be a self-managed. They don't want any management company guiding them. They're acting as the management company. So you're self-managing and you got to deal with all the problems mm -hmm. or you hire the team of experts to be able to run it Correct. like your company and you're just implementing the rules they put into place. Yes. And, it's, okay. and, and the rules, you know, start from when the, 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 the property was built. Right, so the developer has to follow a certain process, and then in that state or in that county, then the bylaws are created. They have to be approved. But then, as the as the homeowners buy, and then enough homeowners buy that where the board now is resident driven. Sure, they have fiduciary responsibilities of their bylaws, um, and they have outside attorneys that are guidance for them sure. and they have other professionals as well engineers where it's applicable architects where it's applicable accountants are one that they need because every year there has to be an outside auditor mm -hmm. that comes in you know it's not we're auditing the books because we need someone to make sure that hey are they in line sure. at, you know as well so it's an outside uh accounting firm that does the actual audits every year and records that. And then the the residents who live there get a copy of all this. So they see that, you know, they can come and ask any questions. It it should be very transparent. Some boards are more transparent than others. That becomes the, the conflict. And we have to come yeah. in and guide that. Uh, Why well. would anyone want to self-manage it? I mean, I'm listening to what you're saying, thinking, oh man, that's a lot of work. It is so if I have work. a full-time job and I'm it running, I'm on the work. HOA, I got to worry about ground care. I have to worry about problems with the units. I have to worry about the money. I have to worry about everything. Why would anyone want to do that? Yeah, and, and also if you in some communities, there might be employees we call right. them associates that work at the property. 
So now you're also in the HR business if you're self-managed. Right. So now you're dealing with Great hiring, point. firing, yeah. you know, are you doing all the right, you know, dealing with all the training and stuff. It's a huge liability back to the community. In most cases, why it goes self-managed is the lack of the knowledge they know what it takes to manage it. I don't want to say education because sure. I don't want to offend anyone thinking that a person could be very well educated, but do they have the knowledge in this specific field, right. in this specific right. area, to realize where your risks are? Yeah. So, you know, in my role as president, I have, I'm, I sur I'm surrounded with incredibly talented people. And I know that in each one of their specific areas that report to me are more talented in that area than I am. Sure. I recognize that. So I lean for them for guidance. And the guidance is gives me a well-balanced decision to make on if this is a risk we want to take right, or if this is a risk we don't take. Mm -hmm. Being on the board should be the same thing. Be looking at all the professionals that surround you and taking in all the knowledge and making sure that it's not just, oh, this will be good, trust me. Like, why do you feel that? You ha we have to be able to explain and show that path so that the board in those decisions are making sound decisions, even mm -hmm. though they're not the experts. Most people don't realize that because it is a huge liability to self-manage. Yeah, you huge bring up liability. such a great point that didn't even occur to me is if you have employees there, now you have an HR problem. Now you, have an a you need an yes. HR department. You need to hire someone for the HR like what? And it's it, extremely sensitive now. Oh, I'm, HR sure. has yeah. risen over the last couple of years of just heightened awareness around stuff. And in some cases, the self-managed, if you looked at the self-managed, and there's not a big percentage of them, but of the self-managed, a lot of them, for some reason, are have been self-managed for a long time, and some of them are in the active adult communities. Yeah. Those are age restricted, 55 and better. So you also have people that might have retired and remembered when they were working, what was okay five years ago, right. let alone 10, 15, 20, is not only frowned upon, it is a huge spotlight of, right. wow, like it just, everything evolves. Every year it evolves of it. So like any it industry, there's just huge liability. All right, I need you to talk to my dad because he's on the board of an HOA up in. Uh, do we in manage 50, it? I, I don't think that you All do. Right, so I we think should. Let's I start think they're self managed, and he had to like run to be on the HOA, and he's just like rolling eyes, saying, "This is like, yeah. like what's going on here? Yeah, you know, it's more complicated." Okay, yeah. he's up in it's up in New England. He lives in uh, Massachusetts, and where and we have a huge presence in the New England market in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and New Hampshire. So happy to- I got to make the introduction. Happy to do that. <laughs> happy to do that. <laughs> so now, when from a lending standpoint, I know that you and I both know that when you're trying to lend on a, a property that has an HOA, so it's a condo, townhouse, even some 55 or older, there's a form that's required to do some sort of condo certification, mm -hmm. right? To yes. check investor concentration, mm -hmm. reserves, all of that. Now, does your company handle that portion of it as well? Yeah. So, yes. I mean, we, we have the data. Yeah. So every time at, a, at one of our properties that there is a transaction, a sale, before the sale is complete, we have to give basic, I'm going to keep it simple, is we have to like audit, you know, send the clean books of how the association is operating. Mm -hmm. 
So, and it's a form. It's 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 very common. And by the way, all management companies have to do this. Not right. not we alone. So that has to go before it gets to closing. There's a request, so it usually comes from the the, the realtor. We'll make sure that they have that. But even if a, a a resident is refinancing their home, yeah, the bank requires yep. that as well. So we are the ones that drive. So we see on a weekly basis, we track every transaction because we have to process. So sure. we have a whole team that has to process this information that is needed to complete the transaction. We also do that for the um, refinance side. Yeah. So yes, there is stumbling blocks that association board members sometimes don't realize that the balance of how many investors own in that community mm -hmm. could change the dynamics on what a bank would allow to lend, sure. which could be a quarter of a point or, or more. Or more, or, yeah, or less, on the transaction. Right, which can change the dynamics of someone acquiring a, a, a home and saying, wait a minute, that just raised another X amount per month. Right. Yeah, so well-managed and and well-managed is important because it even plays the part of what the value sure. of the community can go even on the finance side. Yeah, well, and on the saleability side. So it's really difficult if you're not fitting into the box on a conventional mortgage for investor concentration, for reserves, for this flood requirements, a lot of things that go into that. The property that you live in or that you're potentially looking to buy, it may be less saleable in the future if you're not fit, fitting into that box. And I think it's critical to have a company that's managing all of that. You go to one person, I mean, I've had so many conversations, Michael, with, with uh, organizations or HOAs that are self-managed where they have no idea what you're talking yeah. about. And 100%. they don't get it. In in some situations, you actually can't lend in there. Or to your point, you have to come up with something really creative that's more expensive to be able to do a transaction. Right. And there. Greg, think of it. Some board members who have no intent on selling, it's not a priority to them. Mm -hmm. So being Great on point. the board, you're responsible for not what you personally want. It's what's the best, the betterment of the community. Right. I say it's like a, a well-oiled family. Right. You know, you have to make decisions best for the family. It might not be for one individual, you know, son or daughter, or even for you and your significant other. But what's the best decision for the family? Like business has a lot of simple approaches and people overcomplicate this. But in a community, the role of a board is what is best for the community. Sure. Not for me as a board member or what is my agenda I'm trying to sell in three years, I better get this, the fees down low and get this, like, that's not, people your, don't really think that's like not that. your role. <laughs> your role is really like, if I stay or go, yeah. what do you do? And that runs, that's, right. that's a culture, culture thinking. Yeah. No, yeah. No, no question about it. Now, are you involved at all in the litigation side when there's litigation within an HOA? Sure. I mean, okay. not, not in sense of practicing, we don't practice law and sure. we are not hired and that, but, but as again, goes back to the gate gatekeeper, it's like the orchestra leader, right? You know, when there is a, if whatever that lawsuit may be, um, no, we are, we are deeply involved with the strategy around it or the archives or the information, or we may be the, the testimonial of why, depending on how it goes. And it sure. could be lawsuits of every angle, but yes, we're, yeah. Management companies are involved. Okay, because it could be such a challenge from a lending standpoint when there's litigation. Sometimes yes. that can just shut the door on it. And that's even if the association is suing, 
somebody else we're going to ask questions about if it's a builder or anything like oh, that. Oh, sure. Structural sure. stability and everything like that. It all has to be uh, transparent and be laid out uh, for that as well. I have a question for you about regional differences. So we're, we're shooting this show in New Jersey, and I would imagine that the a lot of what you see in New Jersey could be different than, say, what you see in Florida as far as what's required or what different associations are, are looking for, what are some of the concerns in those areas? Yes, so so the answer is always going to be yes, because it does have you know the local laws, the state laws, the county laws, and even the town laws that play mm -hmm. a part. So um, as uh, the president of the East, I, I cover from New Hampshire, uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, New York State, New Jersey, PA, mm -hmm. Delaware, Maryland, Washington, D.C., um, Virginia, West Virginia, and North and South Carolina. So okay. that is my responsibility as a partner here at First Service Residential. So all of those states I mentioned, all of them, have different nuances that change the game in the state. Right. But then there are certain laws and restrictions that cover also within the county or the town. Mm -hmm. So when COVID hit, we had to follow like multi directions, right? From the higher up all the way to what is the town doing? Right. What's the actual town? Then there was the county. So to your question is, it is being the subject matter experts in that local market. And that's how we've built, that's the magic of first services. We built the organization to where we are very local, right? but we have the national resources to bring in to help support the local team so that they can deliver the service. But are they stuck with everything on their shoulders like our, like in this industry? Cause it's mostly by, by all means, 98, 99% is mom and pop, right? They're put all that is on their weight. You know, so the day-to-day -day business is one thing. Now to start thinking about, you know, legal and all other areas, you need those resources to help so that all of it could be efficient. And you have offices in all the areas that you manage, right? Local offices. Correct. I won't say like in every, we don't have offices in every town that we're sure, in. Sure, but in the states. But, but oh, by, by all means in the right. states, and in a lot of them we have multiple, multiple in the states because it covers different geographic areas. So uh, this could be a sensitive topic, but I want to bring up uh, Florida, you know, and some of the unfortunate uh, disasters we saw down in there with in a condo association and how that has changed the industry, if at all. Yeah, it's changed uh, on, a, on a personal end. Um, my business partner of 30 years, he and his wife, I lost in that tragic. I'm so sorry, Michael. Um, so, so from a personal perspective, you know, I'm on the phone, and he just retired two years before that. I'm on the phone with him on Father's Day, on the Sunday, and that Thursday, that happens, right? So, right. from a personal perspective, it hit us at first service sure. incredibly, incredibly hard. Yeah, so we, sorry. We did not, and thank you very, very much. Um, we did not uh, manage that community. Um, but clearly, being the largest uh, management presence in Florida as well. Right. Um, over 16, I think it's over 1,600 uh, communities that we manage just in, in Florida. So it's a huge presence. So the impact of their, of, you know, we have buildings not far from there. 
you know, walking distance. So the impact of it was one thing. But as things started to unravel and they peel the onion back sure. through, you know, lawsuits and how and why, it has changed dramatically from the lending end to also just from the insurance side of it of what is required and especially high rise buildings that are on the water anywhere mm. in the country anywhere so the restrictions and or what is what is required and the accountability got much more granular so yeah it it really had a huge impact i mean in my career i never heard of any building ever it doesn't just happen imploding yeah. I'm not talking about the ones we met. I'm talking any. Right. I never, never, ever heard that. So it was, you know, just a freak, you know, situation. But the more they deal with it, they're looking at, you know, what were the inspections on on the, the property and the foundation and how was it built? And, you know, all these come into play. Sure. Look, I don't know how it all turned out. None of my you know, business in that aspect. But I could tell you from the properties we manage mm. that are similar, like on, on the water, everything changed for all the industry. Sure. Changed. Just more inspections, more regulation associated with it. Huge you, regulations, yeah. huge inspections. Um, the re, the cadence of inspections um, were uplifted and also, you know, what professionals need to be tied into mm -hmm. this as well. And by the way, it, it's the right thing to do. Sure. It's the right, the yeah, right no, thing to do. No, no question about it. But I appreciate your feedback on that. And I know it's a, a sensitive issue for you. I, I want to talk a little bit, you know, we're talking about, you know, condo and association, what your company does. I think a fascinating part of who you are is some of the leadership skills that you have. I just want to go to a quick break. And when I come back, Mike, I want to talk about leadership. How do you hold the culture together and how do we, how do you build it moving forward? Sure. All right. We'll be back right. with you in two minutes. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to your mortgage process. I'm, of course, your host, Greg Wareham, Michael Mandillo today. Michael, listen, I, I mean, I'm going to, I'm going to brag about you. So in, in reading through your uh, profile, I know that you've done different leadership speeches across the country, different organizational groups. You've done them at Columbia. You've done them at NYU. What's the strongest characteristic of a good leader? I would say uh, self-awareness, like awareness is a huge characteristic trait. That's a, that's a great a one. You know, because we've all kind of worked with those people that are completely self-aware, not self-aware, right? Right, yes. We're floating around. It's almost kind of a an old school thing where it's more of a, it's not so much a democracy. Like they just say what they want to say and they manage in the fashion that they want to. But to your point about self-awareness, it's critical if you're going to manage and lead a large group of people. When you look at, for you, your self-awareness, what do you think you have to be self-aware about? Well, I think, you know, part of the self-awareness too is great listening skills. So I think if you Makes sense. truly, truly listen to who you're speaking with and self-awareness of really detaching from the feedback looked upon as criticism, mm. right? So there is reasons why people say, you know, let me share the feedback and someone says, well, that's, you're just a fancy word for you're going to criticize but you know what words stay in our head yeah um 
And the right narratives do change the way you think, you know? So I do believe your thinking creates your behavior. Mm. So listening is important because you really have to be aware that it's coming from the perspective of what they're seeing. Mm. Doesn't mean it's right or wrong and with no judgment, which is very difficult to do, but you are coming from their perspective, right? And the same is that's like great empathy. Sure. Is really knowing what they're feeling from their side of how they're explaining, whatever it may be. Yeah, and being really aware of that, right? So we were chatting a little bit about this off air. Like when you're having those conversations, you're listening to people. It's not about hearing what they're saying. It's about really paying attention to the detail of what they're saying so you can understand the perspective that they're coming from. Correct. Like a therapist. Correct. Right? Yes. And by the way, you know, there are parts that come easier for people. Sure. You know, from a standpoint of it might be like, wow, I do this really well in an environment of work, but I might not do it as well in my personal life, right? Because that's the human side of us. The Have human- you been talking to my wife again? <laughs> <laughs> Same as with mine. The, uh, the, no, so it, it, there's, there's a lot of different angles. It's not as simple as, uh, you know, the formula I do believe in, but it's not easy for everybody. Right. No matter how well you, you feel you may have, and, and mastering it is not, wow, you really figured out how to like influence the, it's really the belief. Mm -hmm. So you can, you can read all the books you want, listen to all the podcasts you want of successful people in this area. But if all you're doing is repeating what you learned, then it will not have the impact. Because I do believe that the majority of people have a great awareness, if they're, if they're aware of it or not, the awareness of smelling and sniffing BS. Right. They'll just go, there's something, you know, and when right. people say, I don't know what it is, I say, that's your moral compass. Right. Right. You have, everyone has a, has a moral compass, right. you know, you got the BS and, meter and, yeah. and all of a sudden it's just kind of like, maybe they can't put a fingerprint on it. Right. But I just, now look, there are some people that have been, you know, have a lot of personal scar tissue right? that just don't trust anyone. That might've been of things that they were surrounded in their, in their lives. Those are people different, right? They just don't trust. But I'm talking about the average person that just says, mm, mm. she was a little off or he was a little off, right. you know? So the the authenticity of what you learn is important that it comes out because if it's not authentic and you memorize that when I speak to someone, I have to take a minute to a minute and a half and have an icebreaker, <laughs> then there's another minute and a minute and a half I have to then ask them about their personal right. life. Let me I, reiterate their issue to them. Oh my God, right. I cringe with this. Right. It's like uh, when, the minute I'm hearing this, I'm like, you lost me. It has to be a real flow of nothing different than if you're sitting in your backyard with a friend or a family member and you're just, you're talking. So the conversational side of this is important. But I think listening, self-awareness is incredibly important in, in, the, in the base process. You know, it's so challenging. You know, we live in a society that really has uh, enabled a you versus me individualistic approach to things, right? It's always got you versus me. And that's kind of cat that's capitalism in some ways, but 
where people aren't generally thinking about the collective of us, right? And as a leader, you can't be in that standoffish you versus me. You have to come from that perspective of us. And that starts to your point with it, Michael, to listen to what's going on and, and have a real conversation about it and not something that's so structured or something that's not so, that's agenda free. Yeah. Right. Yes. That's a, that's a great, great point. Yeah. And I do think that, um, people over people in general over bake things. Mm. I mean, life is incredibly simple but it has a huge journey of complexities in between. Yeah. But as simple as, hey, we're born, we have to live a life, we have to make money to, you know, have a roof over our head, and then unfortunately we all have the same book. It ends the same way. Yeah. The end. Right. Just a matter of how many chapters are in your book. Sure. Right? And who's but, writing that right, book, right? Are you writing it yes. or someone else? And yeah. the complexity of that is each chapter. Right. Right. That's the complexity. But keeping it, you know, in a sense of where it's simple, you know, I think that if we all just were kind, mm -hmm. like just genuinely kind, and yeah. that we l listened, I think you'd see a dramatic change in everything that we touch in our in our lives. Now, that's yeah. as simple as that sound. It's so so difficult. Uh, yeah, we're, we're so lockstep with that because I look at it from a perspective of we're all the same. Like an individual human being has no more or less value than another human being. Correct. Now, somehow that gets clouded right. in the world. Well, this person has more money or this person has more success or better athlete or whatever it is, all of which are individual skill sets that can be true. But the intrinsic value of a human being is the same across the board. No matter what, no matter what you do. And when you're trying to train, coach, develop people, you know, understanding that, you know, understanding that the person that you're working with is equal from a human standpoint, and then making the investment into them to help them build, grow and cultivate what's unique and strong to them. Yeah. And I think a good example, and I feel that I hear this from a lot of other business owners and executives that I interact with inside the industry, outside the industry, you know, education, all is there's this rub of generational lack of generational collaboration. Mm -hmm. And then there's the stigma of each of those generations. So if you just use Gen X, millennial, Gen Z's, each one, there is a stigma connected. Right. And each generation, you know, uh, overemphasizes the one they want to hit on. <laughs> it's right? so true. Right? You guys are lazy. Right. You and guys then, are and, selfish. Right. And yeah. then they go, you people know nothing about technology. Right. You're not like each one. And it's this like little bit of a chip. Right. On the shoulder. And it's a, you know, you want to punch me, I'll punch you back, you know. Right. You don't know business. You've only been in it for two days. You know, well, you, you've been in it too long and you don't know technology. By the way, truth in all of them. Yeah. Truth in all of Definitely. them. Definitely. That's where it goes back to is, look, put your guard down. Why don't we start with saying that it really doesn't matter how old anyone is or what generational, uh, what generation you're in. Why don't we start with just putting your guard down and why don't we just listen to what someone has to say, because if it's impactful and we feel that it could make sense or we could 
cultivate that, then why don't we do that for the betterment of us? Now, right. that is a hard, hard and high hurdle. No doubt. But if you stick to really walking the walk and then holding yourself accountable, including allowing a trust within the organization, a trust of where people feel I can push back and call you out. Right. And when I say call you out, all the way up to me is like, you have to allow that. Yeah. That and is- if you don't, that's the BS meter. You have to allow that. Now, look, that's where I go back to being kind. Right. Think before you speak. Deliver your narratives in a way that, you know, it's laying it out. You don't have to apologize for everything. Like, you know I love you, but, right. you know, like, like, you know, you might as well just hit me with the punch. Just say, here's, the, here's what it is. If the foundation is strong, here's where I feel we're not going down the right avenue. Here's where I think you might have a blind spot. Right. And put and by the way, when you're listening, truly listen to that. Right. Truly listen. And if it goes, damn, I think you might be right here. Or I'm not sure I agree, tell me more. Right. Like that collaborative, it breaks the walls down. No one cares. And by the way, in life I think that's the same. I could, no, no, we could go on a whole social yeah, tangent no, about right. like just <laughs> right, who cares right, what they right. just what what makes sense yeah. what's right how are we delivering it you know and that's that's the hard part of it you know and that's a great nugget there too as a leader who manages thousands of people you have to be okay with someone giving you direct feedback yes as well you can't be offended by it you can't set a culture where people are afraid to communicate right. with you because once you set that culture they're not even going to talk to you right. and then everything festers and the, 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 the human side of that is, like, I, I would tell you 100%, I've never, ever received feedback that I didn't feel initially pissed off, I didn't like it, or I wasn't hurt, or I was like, screw you, what are you talking, like, that feeling right. will never go away. Right. It's how long that feeling sits, sure. is mastering it, if it's, is it for a month, or is it for three minutes? Right. You know, and the quicker you can pivot to say, you know what, in in I I do believe this. If if I'm pushing somebody's buttons, it's most likely because I see that there's more more that can come out. There's a better pathway for that individual, and I believe in them. If I'm ignoring somebody, that's when they should be looking and going. Because it's like if you gave up, then I'm giving right. up. I'm right. giving up. If we're not going to do this together. But if you're really pushing the individual in most strong leaders, good leaders, they're doing that because they see more right. that can be there, you know, um, yeah, but you do have to, to walk the, the walk. And you know what? There is belief in, I believe in fake it till you make it. Yeah. You know, that there's certain things is just like, you know, your first week of working out and not seeing any results, then just keep doing it. And at time, you'll be like, now I get it. Now right. it's right. Now it's the thing to do. That has a lot of meaning in anything. I, I love what you said about uh, getting the direct feedback. And yeah, it can hurt your feelings. Yeah. Yeah, it can make me sure. angry. Yeah, it's gonna, it might sit in my car. Are you that cold? Like, like <laughs> are your veins that ice that <laughs> right. you're not like, screw you. Who are you to tell me <laughs> what to do? But it really is about, yeah. oh my God, that goes self-awareness. Yeah. Control, listen, and it's hard. And by the way, there was no doubt I have my moments where I flip off. Sure. And I was like, okay, that didn't work. You know, reboot. Fell off the bike, get back right. on, ride again. Oops. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. <laughs>
100%. Uh, that, that's fantastic. So from your a company standpoint, you know, we mentioned before that there's 17,000 people that work for the organization. And I, you just won the Great Place to Work Award in 2023. I think yeah, it was March 2023. Super, super excited about that. I mean, that's 17,000 people basically have to almost nominate you, right? Through some sort of yes. employee. Yes. It's, a, it's, a, it's not an easy task right. to do this and to because you can't maneuver the the answers here so right. it's really like uh-oh we asked them what are they going to say we can't go you know it's like <laughs> nope they're going to say it and hey, that's it so you know yeah. one of the things i really like about your organization so if you go on the website and you look at certifications that you guys have or that your uh that the team has that's the only certification that's listed yeah because that's the one that matters and that's but how at i at the end of the day yeah uh, i'm uh, look, Education was a difficult challenge. You know, it was a difficult road for me. Yeah, by choice. I was not disciplined. I didn't. You know, I attention span of a gnat. Like it just was not my my gig by choice. Talking I got right out. Guy. It took six years, but yeah. I did finally get out. <laughs> um, but I say that for a reason: is that at the end of the day, I admire people who have all the um, accreditation. You know, all the different. Uh, skills that they've hit on getting different types of, um, uh, you know, CMCA or PCAMs or all these amazing, amazing accomplishments. So I do, I admire that because I don't have the discipline to. But at the end of the day, end of the day, in this industry, in a service business, if people don't feel good where they work, if they don't feel that they are supported if they don't feel that they can lean into somebody, if they're not getting the true appreciation, mm. doesn't matter all of the, the the schooling you did or all the knowledge, right. it's not going to work. It's the number one culture, reason Culture will by far eat strategic, tactical, academics. It'll eat it for lunch. Eat it for lunch. Now, of course, we need skilled people. And of course, we need sure. people who have uh, certain degrees for certain roles. And of course, we need incredible policies and processes and standard uh, operating procedures, risk map. You need that to run an organization. Sure. But you can have all that. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the people feeling they want to be here every day, mm. Nothing has happened. I have a question for you on that. So when so culture is critically important to to any organization, Un any great organization. Yes. So when you're looking to hire someone, are you looking to see if they fit your culture? Oh my god, or, yes. Or, okay. Oh, I like feel if there's any degree I have in, yeah, it's the PhD in culture because I can tell you it it comes out of my pores the importance yeah. of a culture. Now, you don't have a great culture all the time. And you have pivoted, you you pivot at points with culture. Mm -hmm. It could be generational shifts. It could be technology shifts. It could be uh, a, a, a tragic um, um, gravity like COVID. Sure. Like those are when your the culture is tested, but it's also may where you need to adjust a right. culture. So we're not perfect. I want to make sure that, you know, anyone hearing this isn't saying like, oh, you said like, we're not perfect. But I tell you what we are. We believe in the perfect effort. Right. The perfect effort. That's well put. Culture. Yeah. And, the, and the culture 
of, of this organization is everything that we stand behind. It's the most amazing people. Yeah. Like we are, we are gifted to have and grateful for the amazing people that have been with this organization. And by the way, ones that aren't with us anymore, they played a huge part in yeah. any way. Even the ones that were difficult or challenged us, they played a part in this culture being built. But to answer your question on when we are hiring, culture is a huge part of that. And the way you, at least our process, is when we're hiring people, it's just not a resume. It's just not an interview. It's an interview with different individuals in the organization. Because mm -hmm. at the same time, we want to know, could we break bread with you? Right. You know, can you have a cup of coffee? Can you have a, a, a dinner or a lunch? And then how would that feel? Because, you know, at the end of the day, we're all different. There are people with different beliefs and stuff, and we welcome that beyond belief. But taking away all that, is there a connection? Right. Is there Because the connection is what drives the culture. The belief in, in that connection is really what is the root mm -hmm. that holds us together, yeah. no matter what our you know, dreams and aspirations are, or beliefs are, what's holding us together. And for first service, it is incredibly important that it is that culture of what we can do for appreciation to our people, train, educate, but also have them have a voice. Right. And what and can we an do to improve? Right. So we ask them every year, but we don't just survey our own associates and ask, where can we improve? And it's very very specific. We then come back and say, okay, this is what you said. So we want them to know they were heard. This is what you said. Mm -hmm. And by the way, now this is what you said. Here's what we're going to do. Yeah. And by the way, hold us accountable because we expect to do this within X amount of time frame. you know, on that. That's, that's fantastic because that's the part that companies fall short on. A lot of people, everyone does the survey, right? And everyone gets the survey back and you can even get the feedback on the survey. But what's the action plan right. that you can hold us accountable to where you think we need to improve? And that's where companies fall short. And that action plan should be simple. One pager. Like it right. really doesn't have to be a thesis. <laughs> right. and go, Like it really just has to be the simple things on what we're going to do. And then you have to do it. Right. That's the execution. Yeah. Right. Because if, if everything is in place and we don't execute, then the trust factor comes in. Right. If we're asking the people who work for the company to execute, then we as leaders have to execute as well. Absolutely. At even a higher level. Right. And right? I do think there is such huge opportunity that when we miss our mark, mm -hmm. we have a blind spot as leaders. Um, when we didn't deliver what we said, because by the way, those do happen. Right. All of us. I see the opportunity that it shows the human side of, of everybody. So own that. Exactly. But it's to say, look, you gave us too much credit. Right. <laughs> you know, you know, you know, there's times where I look and go, oh my God, I got three more miles in my car. I got to get gas. You know, someone, well, you, you can run a big business, you know, but you can't even put, you don't even know when to put gas in your, like the human yeah. side is things happen. Sure. And that, that is an other area of where you can flip the script to where it shows, Wow. You know, they even own it when they just go. Screw you know, up. one of the Screw things up. I love that you said, Michael, talking about culture, you get to sometimes you just get to a stress test, yes. whether it was COVID or, or insert anything in there. And at that stress test, knowing that you need to change in some way, shape or form. And even more importantly, with what you said, I love it's about the effort 
of culture, right? It's about, are we giving it a hundred percent effort to have the best possible culture realizing nobody's perfect. Right. But if we're, if that's what we're striving for, then that's a big long-term win. Early in my career, I saw a, a, a little article on, I can't even remember who it was or what, but the article was about a person that in his company had this great vision on launching a new product. And he got everyone on board. They put all the place, all the people in place. And at the end of the day, they launched this new product and with all the hype on it. And it failed drastically. And going into the next year on what's the new product, his team was like, how are you going to go out and face all of our employees with this gigantic failure? Right. Like we can't ignore it. What are we going to do? And then you want to have them, oh, and here's the next venture. And this stayed with me early on, which I think was one of the things that I felt that the power of this was he wa he just said, I think I'll figure it out when I'm out on stage. Now he did have a plan. He yeah. walked out on stage and everybody was definitely going, ooh, this is embarrassing. Like <laughs> we were here a year ago yeah. and he was They're like cringing this. for him. Like, yeah. oh my, what is he going to do? Right. He took out a raw egg and broke it over his head. <laughs> I thought this was genius. It was fantastic. And he said, I have egg on my face. And the place erupted because he just owned it. That's fantastic. Just owned it. And, and it's over. Done. He right. owned it. And, I, and that resonated with me um, to the extent of where you look and you say, you know, people who are visionary and lead by trailblazing, you're going to make mistakes. In right. fact- you're going to make more mistakes than your successes are. Yeah. But don't sweep it under the carpet. Just, you know, we tried, we put ourselves out there. We really believed in it when we did it. But we realized pretty quickly or after a period of time it wasn't going to work and we stopped it. Yeah. But show that 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 type of thinking is that the company you want to be part of. Yeah. One is always thinking forward or we're like we have the most amount of hires in the history of our company has been in the last 18 months. Mm -hmm. And we've had the most, we call boomerangs. People that left and came back and the grass was not greener. Right. And all of it drives on the culture and the trajectory of their opportunity. So we're seeing now more that employees are looking at saying, we wanna be with an organization that is forward thinking. Sure that is pushing and trying, you know, and, and, and also for ones that want to, you know, build their career, where's my runway? And right. if I don't have a runway where I am, where am I going with this? Yeah. I saw 10% of the hires last year were the boomerangs or people that came back yes. to the company. And I want to just piggyback off that, the egg on the guy's face. You know, my expression's always been from a leadership standpoint is if you got to eat crap, don't nibble. Yeah. You get it over with. Right? It's over with. Take it out. Now it over with. And that's it. it. Yes. Uh, your organization does a lot of good philanthropic things as well. You have a real social purpose. Yes. What you're trying to accomplish. You mind talking a little bit about that? Sure. This is uh, a passion of, of, of the organization as a whole. But it does stem back to um, Scott Patterson, who's our CEO of First Service Corporation, which is the public entity, the holding company. And... Scott had a great passion around us as an organization. Uh, all the companies under First Service Corporation that we all 
really should be moving towards a purpose. Um, obviously, that didn't take a lot of arm twisting, right? But you know, and again, that stems back to the culture of the organization. So it wasn't all about you know checks and balances and EBITDA and top line, which obviously those are important. We are a, a, a business of profit, you know, so they are important. But at the same time, equally important is how do we pay forward as an organization? Right. What do we do as an organization that really can make an impact to our own associates or their families, and then also us as an organization doing things for different you know needs. So it's not one specific, and that's the other, it goes back to the great culture of that entrepreneurial spirit, Sure, is we allow our teams across North America, and as granular down to uh, one property, mm -hmm. if they wanted to do something, and that they can, they can do that, we empower and push and support and uh, embrace all of those right things to do for, do it, we're behind you. You know, we've gotten better in a sense of um, we have great calendars that we can track what we're doing. You want to know, hey, they did this. It really worked. Like, oh, my God, we're stuck. We don't have many creative people on our team. What should we do here? So the basis of this really is for us to give back. Like, what could we do to make an impact in somebody's life? And we have watched some yeah. remarkable things happen that have moved all of us of like, this is bigger than just, hey, we have we have money to write a check or, right. hey, we've got 17,000 and across the board, we have over 40,000 uh, across first service. This is really about people don't know, no, I'm going to come on a Saturday because I believe in this and I'm going to come on a Saturday because I want, oh, and by the way, is it okay if I bring my kids or if I bring my brother or sister? Yeah. Like that type of thinking culturally yeah. is so good to to give back and it's the right thing to do. Yeah, I couldn't agree pay with forward you more. is the right thing to do. We were chatting a little bit about it off air. So in my mortgage life in the mortgage company that I'm affiliated with, we give almost 50% of our profit back towards investment in inner city schools to make sure that these kids are educated and they have a real opportunity in life. And I can't speak enough or, or have enough respect for an organization like yours that is focused on that and how do we get back? that's what it's all about. Yeah, it's all about people at the end of the day. If we're, if we're fortunate that things lined up well for us, yeah. I mean, obviously a lot of hard work and a lot of focus of the individuals in the organization. Um, but if we are that fortunate, which we feel, what can we do to make an impact in somebody sure. else's? And that's, that's, it's, it's really rewarding. I mean, it really is. We've watched a lot of things over the years. Um, and, you know, the organization did always was doing some type of um, social purpose. Right. But we didn't as a company kind of say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's, let, let's look at this, you know, in a process too. Yeah, like, make how do it we an make initiative sure of what we're an trying initiative to do. and being sure. part of it? So that's why I said it wasn't, it wasn't twisting anybody's arm. We right. were all like, well, we are. We're doing it, but like, oh, okay, well, let's let's really put some some efforts yeah. and investments internally around making sure that we're doing this the best way we can and make it part of our culture right. in the organization. It's fantastic, think, Michael. Yeah. So if anyone out there is listening and they have a need for professional management, HOA, 
uh, go down the list because you basically handle everything right. in that property management space. What's the best way to reach out to your company to have the conversation? Is it you? Is it someone on the team? It, anyone looking in the aspects of mat, their property being managed. So I break it down into three verticals. Okay. Right. We have a high rise team. The high rise team is basically seven stories and up. Those are our are, are properties that we we manage, uh, and most of those are in cities or outskirts of city areas. Um, we also have our lifestyle mm-hmm. um, vertical, and that's those are properties that are highly amenitized and have lifestyle programming or some type of programming connected to it. It could be an age-restricted, it could be multi-generational, but they're usually those large communities that have the uh, the amenities from pickleball to golf to right. you know a, a clubhouse and again it could be multi-generational it doesn't have to be 55 and better or sure. age restricted but we do have a team within the lifestyle that specializes in and we're the largest in these spaces that really understand the vertical thinking sure. and the vertical expertise you know you'll meet management companies that say oh we have those type of products and they do but no one has focused in on vertical you know, expertise mm-hmm. from the financial aspect of it to the management aspect of it. No one's ever really done that with the, the, the service that is needed to successfully you know, bring that community to the next level. And then we have sure. our third vertical, which is mostly your portfolio properties and HOAs. Those are ones that you really mostly cutting grass, maybe moving snow in, in the, the applicable areas where there might be snow. And you have either detached properties, single family homes, or you have like townhouse. Mm-hmm. But each one of those verticals really require expertise in managing Makes sense. those. So uh, if anyone is in need in those areas, and also we work with developers who are putting the shovel in the dirt or pre-shovel in the dirt mm-hmm. and um, are looking for management companies before there's residents there that they can pass the association on to the, to the residents. So we service national, all the national you know, builders you can think of. Mm-hmm. We service the national, the regional, and the parochial, and the locals uh, mm-hmm. as, as well. But, you know, you can, con- you know, first service residential, you know, we're all over from our website to, um, I think that's probably the best, but, you know, clearly all our information is there who to, sure. who to contact. We have business development uh, leaders, mm-hmm. but we are not a sales organization driven on sales people. We are a service organization. Makes sense. But we do sell a service and we are looking to grow the business in the top line. It's important for us as well. And we're very proud of our um, retention. We have, you know, the highest retention. Uh, Last year, we were 97.4% in retention of our client. And again, we're proud of that. You know, could it be like, oh, you're pounding your chest on this? Yeah, but wouldn't you? Like that, that's a reflection of our people. Yeah. Again, this, this is, I just happen to, to be the, yeah. the orchestra leader, yeah. but the, 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 the team from our heart of the house, client accounting, corporate accounting, our HR team, our risk, our, um, our legal, internal legal team, our IT team, you know, uh, every one of these are marketing and sales, our management, our managers, you know, each one of them play this incredible part of making what the organization is. So yeah, I say that because that's a reflection on 
on them. It's a huge reflection on all of the success that they bring to the table. That's great, response. Michael. Yeah, so if someone just Googles first service residential, they'll get all the information that they need. You know, I know you're a really busy person, Michael. Thank you so much for taking the time today to have this conversation with us. I appreciate your perspective on leadership. It's fantastic. Well, thank, thank you. Thank you very much. And the best of luck with you as well. It was, it was, it was a blast. Th thank thank you. you so much, Michael. And thank you everyone out there for listening. This is Greg Wareham, Michael Mandillo, your mortgage process. Look forward to keep catching up with you next week. Thanks guys. Thank you for tuning in to this week's edition of Your Mortgage Process, hosted by Greg Wareham, produced by Greg Wareham and Nick Pavise at The Social Rift, and executively produced by The Social Rift. Thank you again for tuning in, and we look forward to catching up with you next week.